Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest Mints on the Edge podcast. This is Back Chat. I'm uh, Jeff Schultz with Mints 11, joined by my colleague, uh, Saucer Maley. Unfortunately, Tom Burton can't make it today, but it's it's us handling it. And we have uh, a couple of uh, special guest stars from our litigation department, Sean Prosser and Douglas Bonstein. Just to give you some background, Mints 11 is very heavily involved in, in SPACs. Uh, we've recently had clients either announce or complete five SPAC transactions in the last uh, six months, and we have about 10 more in the works. So we're uh, very experienced and uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to talk about uh, what we're seeing on the litigation side and um, what to expect. And so, um, Sean, Doug, uh, what are you seeing uh, on the litigation front with SPACs? I'll let you go ahead and start on litigation, and then I'll talk a little bit about what we're seeing with the SEC. Sure. So uh, on the litigation side, there, re there really are kind of two flavors of a lot of securities litigation that's been going on for a long time, only a little bit different. The first aspect is what I'll call the, the very normal um, merger litigation. The these are cases where the moment a proxy gets filed, um, a number of law firms, there's a number of usual suspects that we deal with all the time, immediately start questioning the disclosures or the process that led to the, to the SPAC transaction. And in that context, we're seeing what I'll call very typical merger litigations. These are usually nuisance type litigations that are often resolved for just a few extra disclosures and uh, the plaintiffs go away. Um, the bigger issue, and this is where I think the future of SPAC, um, real SPAC litigation is going to be, is really on the securities litigation side. And, and this is, there have been more and more SPAC transactions that, when announced, looked, you know, obviously fairly favorable. But um, when the companies, you know, within months after the closing of the SPAC, um, announced that uh, the projections that they were going public with were not, really the projections that the company is going to achieve or, or, or be all that close to, you're seeing um, a number of cases that either allege allegations under Section 11 of the Securities Act or Section 10B-5 of the, of the Exchange Act, saying that the company had made misstatements or that the SPAC sponsor had made misstatements in their proxy, um, and that as a result, investors improperly relied, uh, relied on these improper statements and uh, the company now should have to pay for damages resulting from that. This is a very standard securities litigation type. Hey Doug, let me ask then in, in that vein, because uh, you know, as I'm a corporate lawyer, this is Sa Cermelli, and, and you know, I usually tell my clients uh, uh, with respect to the disclosures and the securities litigation that you don't get sued in that regard when the stock price is going up. So has the fact that the stock prices have been under pressure, is that contributing to this? Absolutely. It, it, the plaintiffs work backwards here. They actually have monitoring services that are literally eyeing the markets to see when there are material drops in stock price. When that happens, they work backwards from that to try to find what caused it. So if there's a recent transaction it's an easier claim to start to say, wait, you went, you told us that, that you know, your company was going to produce, you know, a billion dollars in revenue. And now you're telling us that it's only going to produce a hundred million dollars over a similar time period. So, it, and once you announce that the stock went down, so it is completely driven by what's happening on the stock price rather than any other 
uh, factor. Yeah, and this is Sean. I remember too the difference with the class action compared to the M and A litigation. For class action, you need to have a stock drop. You need to have a loss. You need to have damages, and then those damages need to be tied to a specific event to have loss causation. So until what someone would view as sort of bad news comes out that causes the drop, the the class actions may be a little bit on hold, but eventually the shoe's going to drop and they're going to sue. And then Sean, what do you when, when that happens? Is there a correlation? I mean, is it are you less likely to hear from the SEC when your stock is you know cruising along, or does it does a shareholder litigation? How does that tie to hearing from the SEC with respect yeah. to the SEC investigation for SPACs? Or, or I guess you've seen a lot of that in the reverse merger world. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, very, very good question because people think, okay, our stock dropped, we got sued, the SEC is going to be on top of this. The SEC doesn't really pay attention to what the plaintiff side does on the class actions. If there's a massive stock drop, the SEC is going to pay attention to it and inquire. But I think just generally, the SEC is looking at this very hard because they're more interested in what caused it to become high flying as opposed to what caused it to drop. Right. So they're they're trying to figure out, is there a manipulation going on the on the offering and the acquisition that then uh, resulted in projections that maybe didn't have a basis that therefore drove the price up? That's what they care about. And they actually don't need to have a stock drop in order for them to investigate and and bring a claim for fraud. So one thing to remember with the SEC is they have tools in place to already address i guess the spac uh, emergence this is not a new animal remember in the 80s I mean, i'm old enough you guys are, are young and you probably don't remember the 80s and 90s you had tons of blank check offerings and you had the boiler room pump and dump the wolf of wall street type things where it's a blank check offering and then they're hyping something that really doesn't have substance then around 2010 or so you had this real rash of reverse mergers that happen with a lot of Chinese operating companies reverse merging into US public shells. And that resulted in a lot of SEC investigation into particularly the accounting, where there was a concern about whether these account the accounting and financials of the acquired company or the, the operating company going into the shell were being manipulated. And now we have the same instance where there's going to be an investigation into the projections of the company being acquired by the SPAC entity. And the SEC has the tools to do that. And they just swore in Gary Gensler as the SEC chair, who has a real reputation for being aggressive. So I do expect, uh, they've already announced investigations into the whole SPAC industry, but I expect the SEC to be pretty aggressive in their investigations, but their techniques are gonna be similar to what they've done in the past. So what can, SPACs and targets do uh, best practices to try to avoid being involved in litigation? Well, first of all, stop. If they can stop their stock from going down, that'll help. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, barring that, I, I think, you know, there's there are really a number of best practices. Uh, on the merger litigation, it's almost in it's almost impossible just because th those types of litigation, they really are kind of bottom feeding. Um, a lot of the plaintiff's firms, but the securities litigation, it looks like a lot of the SPAC litigations really coming out of missed projections and going at it, coming out of really aggressive high end projections that are in proxies that are not really supported as what the company thinks is most likely. And obviously projections are normally protected under either the, the PSLRA safe harbor, 
but they're not protected in the context of an IPO and in, in a registration statement. So the way to really protect yourself is really to have robust dis, um, risk disclosures. So either you, you take advantage of the safe harbor or the bespeaks caution doctrine, which is another judicially created way of protecting forward-looking statements where you warn about what might go wrong. And you know if your risks are out there and, and you're very clear about here's what might go right and here are, is the long list of things that might go wrong and it's not just boilerplate, you're gonna be in good position to defend that case. You know, the stock drop is gonna cause the case to get brought, but the case gets by a motion to dismiss on your risk disclosures, especially on a misprojections type case, if that's what's bringing it on, um, which is really what the context is gonna be for, is and is going to continue to be for many of the SPAC uh, litigations that are going on. Yeah, and I'd say the same thing from the corporate side. When we're working with clients, we we regularly recommend that you try to, you know, the more upfront you are about identifying in particular a specific incident that happened, something happened in your supply chain last year, right? Supply chain is one of the big buzz problems right now globally uh, for companies in many sectors, including SPACs, and there's litigation out there already around some disclosures around supply chain disruption. So we try to tell people, why not put in there that you had a supply chain disruption last year as a specific example? And so I think this goes to some of what Doug said. What we like to be able to help people point to is something that says not only were we talking about the disruption, we explained how it recently happened. So if it happens again, you know, your defense is that uh, the disclosure was not not only robust in the in the broadest level, but it showed that uh, it's already the type of thing that you face. And so, uh, it seems like those types of disclosures are are good prophylactic measures for these cases. One thing too uh, related, and probably would be more, you know, a lot of the securities litigation will get resolved either on a motion to dismiss or ultimately settle. So a lot of times you don't get into discovery, but the SEC investigations start with discovery. You know, you're going to get subpoenas to produce all the documents about everything of the company that gets uh, merged into the SPAC. So one thing that particularly SPAC operators need to be aware of, and I know a lot of these folks don't like to take notes, they don't like to keep paper, they don't like to do a lot of things that the lawyers train them not to, not to keep because you may get sued and people look at all your documents. One thing to think about is to work closely with your corporate counsel to be very, very diligent in your diligence and document it because you're gonna be relying on projections from an operating company that maybe you've just only recently become involved with. And I think it's important for the SPAC operator to document the questions, the diligence, you know, the best efforts, all those things that would be a nice defense to any type of a fraud allegation from the SEC to say, look, these projections ultimately didn't turn out the way we had hoped, but these are all the steps we took to do our best efforts that we could in our professional judgment, we believe that this was, you know, a good opportunity, that type of thing. A lot of times you like to just get rid of all your documents, but I think you do need to keep a good roadmap of your diligence on these SPAC acquisitions. Yeah, and, and I would add, in terms of litigation defense, demonstrating good process is going to, at least on the fiduciary duty side, it's going to protect the directors and. We haven't really talked about it, but it's a really tight market right now for DNO insurance for SPACs. It's very expensive, but good processes protect directors, even if you make a mistake. And you know, Delaware law is pretty protective of directors where they are disinterested, 
where they've gone through appropriate processes, where you get things like fairness opinions, um, which you know aren't always the case right now in every SPAC deal. Um, but you know, the better the processes, the better you are protected down the line, and that's something that you can do proactively. It's going to you know, and it and probably results, frankly, in a better deal for all the interested parties as well. Yeah. And that's great advice, uh, especially given you know, acting director Coates' recent statement kind of warning people about SPACs in general and how uh, maybe they should be treated like regular IPOs and you know, maybe the same theories of liability. And so I think it behooves us as corporate lawyers to involve litigators kind of in the process, especially with maybe hairy disclosure issues um, or when we're talking about projections uh, and really treating the whole DSPAC process like you would a regular IPO and kind of doing that level of diligence that you would do for a, a traditional IPO process. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's a thing I think that uh, the management teams also have to think about because it, it means more resource upfront devoted to focusing on teasing those elements out of the story in the business. And, and that's frankly, you know, one of the things that takes up a, a lot of time in the IPO process at the front end, um, which, you know, in, in the IPO process, a little bit different than the SPAC process. So at the same time as the management teams are trying to get out there and think about how they're going to raise a pipe financing and get a merger agreement together, we're trying to make sure that they're devoting enough internal resources from their teams to help generate the appropriate risk factor disclosure, to make sure that the subtleties and nuances of the business and the dif differentiators uh, that are important to call out are in there so that when we're looking at them in hindsight in this kind of dispute scenario, that they stand the test. And, and the test is whether the hygiene is good, whether you know they, they uh, brushed after meals and flossed. And so that's what we like to help with. Well, one interesting area that where if you're preparing for an IPO, no one's worried about insider trading because no one is trading. There's nothing out there. So here you have a trading shell and you have uh, the SPAC operators identifying potential targets and they need to be wary of the risk of insider trading in those instances because you are contacting multiple companies. You're having many conversations and you do have a, a publicly traded vehicle out there that people can come in and out of depending on the activity that you're up to to acquire an operating company. The SEC has already identified um, that they are looking at insider trading on some of these um, SPAC deals. And now when you have some of the more negative results, you end up getting people shorting in advance of the acquisition as opposed to buying because they think it's going to be a great run up in the stock price. Yeah. And I think that kind of as a last word, one of the things that, you know, some of the most important stuff we do as a litigator is, is um, you know, the ounce of prevention can be worth a, a more than a pound of cure, which is early on, you know, having litigators go through risk factors is a little bit different than often how, you know, companies and corporate lawyers think of things and look and having going through projections and other things like that. I will tell you that some of the best and most valuable work or cost-effective work that I've ever done are in companies that never get sued. And you don't you don't see those in the news because the process worked up front. And, and you know, that's one of the things that, you know, it, it's great to deliver on. You leave with a very happy client and no one ever knows that, you know, it worked as well as it did, but it does happen that way. <laughs> that's great. That's gr uh, great advice, guys. 
and um, I think this is a very uh, timely topic. Um, and so for all of you people listening, you know, feel free to reach out to Sean or Doug or any of our litigators to discuss any issues uh, that, that you have, you know, either with your SPAC or your DSPAC transaction or, or really anything, as our guys have a, a lot of experience in this area and reverse mergers uh, in the past. Um, so feel free to reach out. So thanks, everyone. Um, if you have any further topics you'd like us to discuss in future editions of SPAC Chat, please submit them to SPAC Chat at mints.com. Uh, and we look forward to having you uh, join us again next time.